0: Hello everyone. This is the CircuitPython Weekly for January 19th, 2021. It's the time of week where we get together to talk about all things CircuitPython. I'm Jeff Hepler and I'm sponsored by Adafruit to work on CircuitPython. CircuitPython is a version of Python designed to run on tiny computers called microcontrollers. Development of CircuitPython is primarily sponsored by Adafruit, so support them and us by purchasing hardware from Adafruit.com. This meeting is hosted on the Adafruit Discord server, you can join any time by going to adafru.it slash discord. We hold the meeting in the CircuitPython text channel and the CircuitPython voice channel. This meeting typically happens on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, but this week we moved it to Tuesday because yesterday was Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, holiday. Anyway, we have an online calendar, um, so please check that out to keep uh, to find the times of the meetings. If you would like to speak in the meetings, let us know and we will add you to the Circuit Pythonistas' role. This will also get you a small number of notifications from Discord during the week, mostly reminders about the meeting. The length of the meeting varies, but it's often from 60 to 90 minutes long. The meeting is recorded and will be posted to YouTube and also released on various podcast services. Um, The meeting is accompanied by a notes document. If you wish to participate but don't have a mic or just prefer not to have your voice recorded, you can add your updates to the notes doc and we'll read them off. If you can't attend at all, you can also leave your notes in advance and likewise we'll read them for you. The document is updated with time codes so that if you're watching later and just want to find part of the meeting, you can skip to what you're interested in. This meeting will be held in five parts. First, community news with links to CircuitPython projects and a, uh, it's not a preview today, uh, but a look at the Python on Hardware newsletter. Second, the state of CircuitPython, the Libraries, and Blinka. We look at objective numbers that summarize the health of the project and get a high-level summary of recent development and future direction. Third, and the first of two round-robin sections, is Hug Reports. In Hug Reports, we invite you to highlight positive contributions from the awesome folk around us. In the round-robin sections, we start with the moderator and continue in alphabetical fashion until everyone has had a chance to speak. If you're lurking, we'll skip over you. If you have notes, the moderator will read them aloud fourth is status updates it's a round robin similar to hug reports but here we invite you to take a few minutes to talk about your circuitpython python related work progress and plans uh, talk about what was up in the last week or since you were last able to attend a meeting and what you hope to accomplish in the near future uh, and if you have stuff that you just want to share um, about what's going on in your life you can do that too it's all up to you Uh, If you have a quick question and answer, you can put that in this section, but a longer discussion should be taken to the last section called In the Weeds. Um, If you have anything else you'd like to discuss that's relevant to CircuitPython, please add it to the end of the In the Weeds section of the notes document as soon as you think of it, and tag it with your name so we'll know who will be leading the discussion. We cover topics in the weeds in the order that they were added to the document. And if you don't have the notes document open, you can hit the pin icon in Discord and uh, just find that first link in the in the top message. So that's the notes document that I'm talking about. Um, anyway, I will assume that anyone who has not at least added their name to the notes document is just listening in. If for some reason that's not possible, please let us know in the text channel that you'll be participating, and our Intrepid's Notes taker, Melissa, will add you to the document. And with that, I will take the first time code of the meeting and continue us on to community news. Um, so first we've got a um, project from, uh, let's see, John Furseen with uh, a COVID-19 vaccination display coded using CircuitPython. Thank you Foamy Guy, for getting the links today. Uh, John writes, I built a scrolling COVID-19 vaccine display for the Adafruit matrix portal and the Adafruit mag tag uh, and uh, lists the data sources and all that good stuff. If you take a look at the notes document, uh, next, a project called the pie quarter from favorite Joey Castillo. He comes up with another beautiful large format project running circuit It has a unique capacitive touch matrix at the bottom, which I can't wait to hear more about. And, find out how that works in CircuitPython. Um, There are links on uh, Twitter. Let's see, next up, an interesting cable connection for some accessories like the Adafruit Airlift Breakout. Um, Maybe, I I may have gotten a wrong paste here. So, sorry about that. Uh, But next up, there is also, something's gone a little wrong here. Uh, skipping ahead, the 2021 Open Hardware Summit has sent out a call for proposals at 2021.oshua.org slash submit proposal uh, This year's summit is virtual and will be held online on Friday, the fourth uh, fr- Friday, April fourth, from 9 a.m. to 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. It is for presenting, discussing, and learning about open hardware of all kinds. Submissions are due by Thursday, February 11th at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Last week, we released CircuitPython 6.1.0 RC1. It's the second release candidate, and if no more significant issues are found within a few days, we'll release that version as stable. However, I suspect we're going to do another release candidate, um, but stay tuned for more about that in the meeting. And Scott has asked the timeless question: What if the Python REPL was like Basic? Uh, Scott experiments editing Python code like Basic was edited with line numbers and everything. The idea is uh, imagining what would a Circuit Python mode look like on a Raspberry Pi 400 bare metal. It's a mix of modern and retro. Uh, next, we have a modular Circuit Python number pad from Reddit. Uh, the author whose name I don't seem to have says I made this macro pad slash numpad that can have any feather compatible board or Arduino Pro Micro as the controller. This means you can choose if this is a wired or wireless board. This is compatible with the 32U4 Bluetooth feather if you want QMK or you can use any feather that runs CircuitPython. We also have uh, two new versions of Microlab, a NumPy-like number crunching library. This These versions implement a NumPy-compatible interface and add a couple of new functions, as well as bug fixes. The change in the interface was a recurring request from the community and is meant to simplify porting of NumPy code from a PC. Since CircuitPython code is still using the old interface, the fixes have been backported and released as version 1.7.1. And uh, as we discussed in last week's interface, we anticipate that with CircuitPython 7, we will switch to this new layout of the Microlab library. And uh, the last one, which um, comes from Sophie, is a simple tool skirt with added Adafruit NeoPixels controlled by a Circuit Playground Express. And give me a moment here. The uh, CircuitPython Weekly Newsletter is a community-run newsletter emailed every Tuesday. The complete archives are on adafruitdaily.com. It highlights the latest Python on hardware-related news from around the web, including CircuitPython, Python, and MicroPython developments. This is a community-driven newsletter, so to contribute your own news or project, you can edit next week's draft on GitHub and submit a pull request with the changes. You can also tag at an engineer on Twitter or email anb at Adafruit.com with your tips. And that is community news. Next up we will talk about the state of CircuitPython, libraries, and Blinka. Uh, As I said earlier, we like to take a statistics-based approach to monitor the health of the project. So that means things like counting the number of pull requests, the number of reviewers, and just uh, getting a sense of the project from that. We'll also give a little touchy-feely summary of where the project has been uh, going over the last week's. So overall, and these stats are from Monday, so the activity in the last 24 to 36 hours is not reflected, and uh, that just uh, was easier so that next Monday we don't um, repeat some info and uh, we also don't miss the people who contributed um, last Monday, because if I took today's statistics, those, uh, people would, those people's contributions would be missing. So anyway, from Monday to Monday, we had 226 pull requests that were merged, which is a huge number. And I'll tell you more about why later, uh, from 21 authors, 21 is an amazing number. Some of the names that are less familiar to me are Zunkworks, Flyleaf91, Hostia, uh, Peter Hinch. And then there are some uh, newer or less frequent contributors, uh, like TWA127 and Jay Furseen. And of course a whole crop of great people. Um, we appreciate every one of your contributions. We also had 11 reviewers, which um, are the usual suspects. If you would like to help us uh, accept more pull requests by doing reviews, please um, ask one of the regulars about it. But basically it means taking a look at a pull request, um, looking at the code changes, potentially giving it a test yourself, um, and just letting us know uh, if there are things that need to be updated about it, or just that it worked for you. It uh, is a way that you can help out, and we would love to have more of you doing it. Back to the numbers we've got 25 closed issues open, 25 issues closed by 11 people, and 16 opened by 15 people. So, what we're seeing there is the issues numbers going down, which is excellent, and uh, participation from a wide variety of people. So, thank you for that. Um, all right, so next up. I will talk specifically about the core. The core is the part of CircuitPython that's written in C and kind of makes everything go. It's what's in the UF2 file that you load um, on your device before you load your Python scripts and libraries. Uh, In the core, we had four pull requests merged from four authors and with two reviewers. We have 17 open pull requests, which have been open for up to 142 days, which um, I believe is the TCP server's request that Effect is still actively working on. Issues wise, we had six closed by three people and seven open by six people. So we had a slight, uh, increase in the number of open issues, but nothing too serious. The total number of open issues is 370. However, we usually track, um, by milestones because milestones list the issues that we want to fix before we make a general release. So, uh, For 6.1.0, we have four open issues that we would like to resolve before we release the final uh, 6.1 general release. We've got one open issue for 6.0.x, which could motivate us to do a release of, uh, what would that be, 6.02 or 6.03. And uh, we've also started to get an issue list for 6.2 and 7.0 and so forth. So you can check out the issues there, but the number to keep an eye on is the four open issues before we want to release. 6.1 one as a stable version. All right. So with that, I will turn things over to Katni to tell us about the state of the libraries. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you.
1: So this section talks about all of the Adafruit CircuitPython libraries plus a few extras. Um, and that is all of the libraries that begin with Adafruit underscore Python underscore as well as, say, the community bundle. Um, and we check in on uh, Blinka as well. So, we had 212 pull requests merged, and the reason for that is that we uh, decided to go through and update our uh, formatter. Uh, we use black to format our code. We decided to update it to the latest. Um, and we update it now where instead of just checking and telling you that it failed, it actually runs um, the form, it runs the formatter on your code. and. We had it in our cookie cutter, which is what we run to create new libraries. Um, However, uh, which meant that all of the libraries that were created since we added it to cookie cutter were already updated. So there were a number of them that were already running this the way that we wanted to, but most of them were not uh, as per the 212 pull requests merged. So um, we went through and Kenny, yeah. Can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. When it
2: runs now, if it if it changes something, does it does it change the code that you have submitted? So, or does it fail and tell you that it's failed?
1: Um, it does tell you that it's, um, it does tell you that it's failed. Uh, and so it still fails
2: if there's any change by Black. It just now- does the change uh, trying to understand what the difference is?
1: Um, well, bef- oh, I'm trying to think of how to explain it. Um, the Guy might actually be able to explain it better.
3: I think it's mostly just a new version of Black. So there's a couple of different changes. Like it, it used to put spaces in different places, and now it, it does them a little bit differently.
2: Right, right. I guess what I'm getting at is is I want to be sure or understand that if I submitted a PR. And, and I haven't run black on it you know, before I submit it, and you, you, it goes in,
3: yeah. does black it,
2: actually make changes to the code that's being committed?
3: No, I don't believe so. I think it just is a check. It will run the check, and if the check uh, finds that it would have made changes, then it it fails that action.
2: Okay, I guess that's what it did before. So uh, I'm a little puzzled, yeah. but I don't to hold things up. <laughs> okay.
1: The, the major difference is how it is... How it works in actions, they black actually changed how it runs within actions, so it's not anything that you see on your end. Okay. Um, it's only that it's running in a different location in the actions workflow. Okay, um, thanks. This yeah.
4: is this is with pre-commit, right? Yes. So the recommended thing is to actually set up pre-commit locally, uh, and then you'll have those checks run locally. And what will happen is it'll when you go git commit, it will run the checks. And if any of the files gets changed by a commit, then it will fail. It won't commit yet. So generally, what you'll do is you'll just get add the things that changed and then redo the commit line.
2: Okay, I haven't looked in the in the is the guide now tell you how to set up
5: pre-commit. I've, I've never even heard of it before.
2: I think <laughs> it's
4: just pre-commit.org yeah, I, pre commitorg and I'm
5: adding something to in the weeds to discuss that. Okay.
4: Okay. I Good. Think
5: everybody should so, know because I it.
2: Saw, saw all those notes about pre-commit stuff going in, and I have no idea what pre-commit means. Yeah. I think.
5: Oh. All right. I'll, 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 I'll give it a, a one minute course in
6: it.
1: Okay, sounds Thank good. Thank you, Dan. Um, so that explains all that. Uh, so we had um, 212 pull requests merged by 12 authors, uh, including a couple of the new folks mentioned earlier, and 10 reviewers. Um, the list of merged pull requests is not in the notes as per 212 of them, taking up many pages. Uh, We have 60 open pull requests as of Monday. Um, I believe that number has actually gone down because there were a few uh, PRs left over from the initial run um, that have been merged. Uh, So while that number is up significantly from the last time we talked, um, quite a few of them I think are still related to updating the pre-commit stuff and fixing the licensing things. So we had 16 issues closed by 11 people and eight open by eight people, uh, leaving us with 266 open issues. Um, If you're interested in any of this information, um, minus all of the additional info about uh, what the PRs actually are, um, you can go to circuitpython.org slash contributing, uh, and you'll find a list of open PRs, a list of open issues, and a list of library infrastructure issues, as well as uh, how to contribute to the circuit Python, translating circuit Python messages in the core. Um, All of these are excellent ways to start contributing. Um, If you wanna take a look at an open PR and let us know uh, that you took a look at it, that the syntax looks right, um, that you tested it, that sort of thing, um, or go to the issues. And if you're new to everything, good first issues are an excellent way to start. We currently have eight good first issues labeled across all the libraries. Um, and if you're looking for something a little more complex um, check out bug or enhancement and all of these are uh, great ways to get started comment on the issue that it's something you're looking into um, let us know if you need help there's a guide on committed or on um, contributing to CircuitPython using Git and GitHub uh, and we're always available on Discord to answer questions um, we had a number of updated libraries in the last seven days but no new libraries uh, and that's where we are with the libraries. Thank
0: you. And now I will pass it to Melissa to tell us about Blinka.
7: Hello. Blinka is our circuit Python compatibility layer for Raspberry Pi and other digital board computers, uh, also including MicroPython. Um, this week we had 10 pull requests merged by seven authors and five, five viewers. They, they were open pull re- requests, uh, leaving, uh, or that left, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, three closed issues, closed issues by three people, and, and one oh, wow. one person leaving leaving at 50 open issues. There were two thousand six hundred and ninety ninety seven PA downloads in the last week, and, and sixty pull uh, oh, supported. So that this week we actually had a lot more activity. On, on the um. Uh oh! <laughs> I didn't know me. My my I'm a little wonky. I guess I should have done in my test first. Uh, if uh, you're having trouble hearing me, uh, uh, somebody else read these.
0: Well, I think we got the basics, Melissa. But um, if you want the numbers, you can check out the notes document. Ten pull requests merged by seven authors. Two pull requests open. Fifty issues open. Uh, closing in on 3,000 PyPI downloads in the last week and 60 supported boards. Now the first of our round-robin sections called Hug Reports. Um, I will start and then we will go through things in alphabetical order. Thanks for letting us know when you are lurking with notes for me to read and yeah otherwise we'll just go down the list. So um, I will start, and then next I will hand thanks to Katney. And uh, I've just got a group hug this week. I know everyone is out there doing great things, but I my mind was kind of blank this morning when I was working on the notes document. So I don't have anybody to call out by name. Uh, after Katney, I will read notes from Kevin.
1: All right, so I have a huge hug report for Foamy Guy for taking just a giant number of PR reviews off my plate. Uh, I am dealing with another project right now, and that was just so helpful. Um, to Jeff, you, for agreeing to run the meeting this week when it turned out I had potential conflicts. Uh, to Dylan for creating all those PRs, uh, for updating Black and licensing on all the libraries. And to C. Rover for persisting through a PR that had some issues and agreeing to write up a guide to document the changes that were added to that library. That's what i got
0: Alright, um, after Kevin's notes we will go to Kmatch98, but Kevin Thomas Writes group hugs Alright Kmatch Are you there? Yep All yep. right.
8: Can you hear me okay? Mm-hmm. Alright, first thanks to Dan uh, For uh, CircuitPython building help last night Thanks for that quick response on uh, Telling me, at least I should follow the instructions The things that I had uh, overlooked So thanks for that uh, thanks to Scott for spending a few minutes on the deep dive last week uh, to talk about Parallel Bus. Uh, as a newbie trying to cover some new territory I've never been before, it's good to know that I'm heading in the right direction. So thanks for the, the feedback on that. And lastly, Foamy Guy, thanks for finding a bug and in particular helping with some Git issues and getting uh, pull requests merged anyway. Thanks a lot.
0: All right. Uh, looks like Melissa is not back, so I will read her notes off. Uh, Melissa has a hug report from me for creating the script to set the kernel at a specific version, to guy, a hug report for helping make sure PyPortal worked with his display Display.io Pygame library, to Jay Furseen for helping out with getting the PyPortal refactor changes finished, I a hug to TG Techie for pointing out one of the items I wanted in CircuitPython was already there, and finally a group hug. Uh, let's see. MicroDev, were you going to speak or were you lurking? I didn't know. You're text only. All right. Um, so MicroDev sends a group hug and a hug to Dan H for work on the Touch IO bugs. Uh, so next I'll hand it to Scott and after that to V923Z.
4: Thanks, Jeff. Uh, just a quick hug report to Dan for being the first guest on my stream. Uh, it was really cool to have somebody else talking for those two hours besides myself. So thank you, Dan.
0: All right. And after Zoltan, I will have some notes to read from the top of the alphabet. Uh,
6: Thanks, Jeff. So first, uh, I would like to thank NB for taking good care of the newsletter and uh, second, um, I would like to thank you for um, implementing a fix and the and complete uh, Macintosh workflow uh, on, on GitHub. So uh, basically, I, um, I, I had a question last week that I addressed primarily to, to Scott, but then Scott uh, uh, Jeff somehow picked up on the discussion and a couple of hours later, he came back with a complete solution. Uh, many thanks for that.
0: You're welcome, of course. Um, So at the top of the list, I have notes from Anikdata, who sends a hug report to me and to Tanud for help with Make Translate. Next up, C. Grover writes a hug report to Katni for Git encouragement and helping to facilitate a motor kit change, and a group hug because we need at least one. I think we've got more than just one, but uh, one more doesn't hurt. Uh, Next, we have Dan, and then I have notes from David.
5: Hello. So I'd like to thank uh, Katni and Dylan and Foamy Guy for, as they discussed, going through the libraries to update uh, the build process and the checking process, which we have had several of these huge um, passes through the libraries, and it always generates a lot of emails, but it gets done very smoothly. Thank you very much. Um, Thanks to MicroDev who helped me, uh, a day or two ago, uh, debug some touch problems. They had it; Their board was not acting up, and ours were, and it was really confusing for a while, but we figured it out. And thanks to Scott um, for several technical conversations I had over the past week with him, and also for inviting me on his stream, which I had a lot of fun. Uh, thank you. OK, bye bye.
0: All right, um, after David. Uh, we'll go to Foamy Guide, but for now, I'll read David N- David Gloud's notes. A hug to Brent Rubel for a great Google Calendar Learn Guide. A hug to Carter for a great Learn Guide with wake on flip on the mag tag. A hug to Jay for and Carter again for the enhancement of the Nunchuck Library. A hug to Hugo Dahl for explaining and looking at pre-commit. And a hug finally to Dishapu for sharing the jumper wire DisplayIO game. It's the second time I've thanked him for that, but he really deserves it. All right, we'll go to Foamy Guy and then Effect.
3: All right, thanks, Jeff. Uh, this week I got hug reports um, for David, David G, uh, Hugo, John F, a non-engineering, and anybody else um, who tuned in. I kind of did a bit of an experiment over the weekend and streamed working on some library PRs, um, and those folks came and interacted in the chat. I really appreciate that. Uh, and John as well, for uh, took uh, took it upon themselves to work on a PR after the fact uh, on something I talked about on the Pi portal. so that was really cool to see um, as well. To uh, Dylan and Katney for working on the pre-commit and the license infrastructure updates. I know that sort of thing. you know it's not the most glamorous type of thing to work on, but it's you know it's obviously very important to the project, so very appreciated. Um, to Nerodoc and uh, Skur, uh, I've seen both of those. Two individuals offering really great help to folks in Discord, in the help with uh, CircuitPython room, and also on, uh, di- on uh, GitHub issues and PRs uh, in places. I see those names pop up as well. So here, thank you to those two. Um, and then uh, Kmatch98 for getting a quick, quick fix in on, a, on an issue I ran into over the weekend. Uh, not more than a, a few hours after I had posted up about it, it was already fixed. So huge thanks there. And then lastly, just a group hug to everybody.
0: Thank you. Uh, after higher Effect, we will let uh, Jerry wrap it up, but go ahead, higher effect
9: Hey, um, big thanks uh, this week to everyone who's contributed so far a CircuitPython 2021 post. Uh, I went through them all, uh, read them all, um, and uh, people have lots of cool ideas. It's really interesting to hear so many different perspectives. You know, people bring in kind of the... Uh, things they're interested from from the particular work they've been doing and sometimes it's like you read that and you're like oh my gosh there's so much interesting stuff here i gotta learn about it so um really cool to read those um and then uh thanks to scott uh for this past week um i've been heads down on gc server and he's been reviewing and uh, discussing so thanks to him and that's it
0: all right jerry play us out
2: i'll just wrap it up with a big
0: group hug I got you out of alphabetical order again, didn't I? Yeah, it's
10: okay.
0: That's my fault. <laughs> I can handle it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now we will move on to status updates. Status updates is a round, another round robin. And like I mentioned earlier, we invite you to tell us about what you've been up to since the last time you gave us an update, what you hope to get up to in the next week or so, and anything else that just needs... Saying. So uh, I'll verify that I'm in alphabetical order before Jerry this time. So I will start and then pass it on down in alphabetical order. So uh, last week, besides a number of items that people mentioned in Hug Reports, um, the thing that I did is started work on analog out for the ESP32-S2. We communicated with Espressif and found out that although there's not an API in the ESP IDF. You can kind of go down a layer and work directly with the registers to do DMA to the um, 8-bit DAX. And there's some code for me to study, and I've kind of written out the boilerplate, and I've started filling in all the register-setting stuff, and that's where it stands right now. It doesn't build, it doesn't do anything. So this week, I'm continuing on with the analog-out work, and that is really going to be my focus until it's done, which I hope... Um, I hope there are no unexpected pitfalls uh, and as for fun stuff um, it's winter here in Nebraska and my wife mentioned something about uh, drafts and so I got out the Stemma QT thermal camera and a Pi badge and put together a project from the Learn system with some 3D print and uh, in this case it was an Arduino program and now we can hunt for drafts in the 1940s era house where we live uh, Microdev asks, have I pushed the audio work upstream yet? The, um, the uh, I2S support for ESP32S2 is in CircuitPython, and it doesn't need anything that's not present in IDF. but it is in our main branch, and I think it's in the last release candidate. I'm not sure. Um, and the, the other stuff, I don't think I'm the right person to create an ESP IDF. API for it because, um, they, they do things with tasks, which are are a complicating factor for us. And I think that that part won't be necessary and we'll use our background task thing. And so what I create wouldn't be suitable to contribute to ESP IDF. So, um, whichever way you meant that question, that's the answer. And what is a draft? Thank you, Scott, for explaining that word. Um, Alright, so now I will hand it on to Jerry, and then after that, Katni, if she is around and hasn't been called away.
8: Okay,
2: Katni, did you go first? Do you need to leave? Oh, maybe she already has. Okay. Um, okay, so let's see. So unfortunately, a PR I put in last week to implement the RGB status on the uh, Feather S2 uh, the unexpected maker feathers to cause some unexpected unanticipated problems with the control of the uh, second voltage um, um, voltage controller so uh, it's been reverted and uh, probably won't be implemented so um, luckily I got what I needed out of it so um, it's too bad but it looks like it's just it's just not a good combination for that that board um, And I've been doing a lot of stuff, just testing all week with the deep sleep on the ESP32S2. And it's really been working great. Uh, You've done a really nice job with that. Uh, So I've got one system that's been sending uh, using time alarms to send periodic data to um, uh, AIO. And um, I'm just going to post a picture of it here if I can find it. I think this is it. And, um, yeah. So this is just showing the... battery voltage on, on the unit, which is just sending temperature and humidity data. And you can see uh, back about a week ago, I switched it over from doing every minute to every five minutes. And um, the battery in this case is only getting down to about 3.7 volts. So it could go a lot further uh, before I recharge. So it definitely could get you know weeks out of it. This is a 2200 milliamp battery. So it really is nice to see the performance. And um, on another system I'm using pin alarm to uh, wake up and send a message on an RFM9X so that you could so detect a, a door opening and closing or something like that. And uh, again, that one, the battery is doing very well because it's, it's really off most of the time. Um, so, um, although I understand the pin alarm uses quite a bit more current than the time alarm, but still still a big, big, big improvement. And next week, uh, I don't know. We'll see whatever comes up and looks like fun to play with.
0: All right, I will hand it to Katni, and then uh, after that to K-Match 98.
1: Thanks, Jeff. So this past week, I went through a lot of PR reviews. Um, On top of all of the ones that Foamy Guy did, there were probably 80 or 90 um, that I got through as well. Um, So that was a bit of work. Uh, there was some minor miscellaneous stuff, um, including getting um, a newer. Uh, it's not so new that it's in the. Um, it's not so new that it's in the uh, notes this week, um, but uh, a new library um, bundled and uh, put in put in the bundle and um, deployed to PyPI and getting the docs set up. Uh, The library was already written, but the final steps needed to be done. Um, And I did quite a lot of guide work. Uh, This week, more guide work. Um, Also, I did another uh, bundle of PyPI docs um, for another library. Uh, These are things that are hardware that's coming soon. Um, So we want to have all the CircuitPython stuff in place uh, before we release those libraries. Uh, But mostly... um, guide work and that's what's going on with me
0: all right Uh, i will read notes from kmatch 98 and then we'll let melissa try her microphone again uh so kmatch 98 no wait i'm not reading your notes you're reading them
8: yep my
0: mistake (laughs) no
8: no problem so uh, i've been away from CircuitPython for a few months so i'm relearning how to build that Uh, particularly with the ESP32S2 has a lot of new incantations to learn to uh, (laughs) tell the computer to do what it needs to do. So working through that. Uh, And then the main thing is trying to learn how to add the capability to run a parallel display on the ESP32S2. I think that chip's the fastest one that Adafruit's building boards with right now. So I'm interested to see how fast uh, we could redraw uh, if uh, there was a big display connected to it so trying to add support to that and that's it
0: all right thank you all right melissa and then after that i will have uh notes to read from Microdev.
7: okay how do i sound now good so far keep going okay cool i think the restart uh was the trick uh so last week i finished uh the pi portal refactor after a bunch of testing um and that's in place. I moved all the web-based projects from Glitch to GitHub and updated in the associated guides. I got a fix in place that Jeff wrote up and wrote a guide page on using it. I wrote up my CircuitPython 2021 post, uh, and I have a link in the notes doc for that. I finished the BlinkUp Pi Portal refactor and I started working on adding BeagleBone AI to Blinka, but I had to end up using libgpiod due to the BeagleBone IO library not supporting the BeagleBone AI. Uh, this week I want to finish up adding the BeagleBone AI. I want to get the NanoPi Neo Air, which is another board I have, and that one should be fairly straightforward. And then I want to take a look at the Blinka display IO scaling issue. And then uh, do another round of updated blinka boards on circuitpython.org.
0: I think that number has been stuck at 60 for a while, so it would be good to see it It has. It's up.
7: probably realistically right on 62 or 63. And then if I add a couple more boards, then that'll bring it up to like 65 or something. Probably. So. Uh,
0: all right. I'll read notes from microdev And then after that, we are around to Scott. So, MicroDev writes looking into USB Type C power delivery for future hardware projects. USP, USB PD adds the ability to draw a max of 100 watts over a compatible USB C cable and power supply. Also, tinkering with mesh networking stuff, mostly ESP mesh, which implements a Wi Fi mesh network. So, next we'll go to Scott and then to V923Z.
4: Hello. Um, not a ton. Uh, we've had a lot of short weeks, and I g- just get tons of email over the weekends to catch up on. Uh, furthermore, I'm doing the Circuit Python 2021 blog post, so thanks to everybody who has done that. Um, should be getting back to consistent work here soon as the weeks get a bit more regular. Um, I did do my post for Circuit Python 2021, so if you want to know what I'm trying to focus on for 2021, take a look at that. Uh, it's basically community at the highest level as of last year, and also the BLE workflow, uh, which I am actually starting to get more and more interested in working on. Um, so, for CircuitPython 2021, let's plan on wrapping up by next Monday's meeting. Uh, I'll just do like one final post that says "Like here's all the ones that we got. Um, I think there are some folks in this meeting that have not um, done it yet, so if you haven't, please do. We'd love to hear uh, what your focus for Cirque Python is uh, in the coming year. Um, so the more voices we have, the more ideas we have out there and the more collaboration we can do between folks. So um, I know this, you know, we do it every year and some folks think oh, the same as last year, but, um, you know, rephrase or reframe uh, the things that are still important to you uh, and update those. I'd love to hear how things update. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's, let's call that done next Monday. And I'll, do, I'll wrap up the posts. Of course, if they come in later, I'll, I'll post them. That's no big deal. Um, last week's streams went really well, thanks to Dan being the first guest. Um, we had a few hiccups just on the, like, how do I have a guest on the show? But everybody seemed to really like it. Um, and Dan had some doozy uh, bugs that he's figured out. So uh, that was really cool for the Deep Dive audience. So thanks again for Dan. Um, it's been a three-day weekend, so I am a little behind on everything. Um, usually I scroll back on discord but it was being finicky with me this morning like I'd scroll back and then it would like warp to the current time again which is really really makes it hard to go back and, and to the point where I haven't read anything so if there's any conversations that came up this weekend that you think uh, you'd like my opinion on please ask me again and uh, and mention me and, and let me know um, and I'd love to jump in otherwise I'm just gonna give up and not scroll back <laughs>
0: Well, we look forward to uh, seeing more of your work as you get back into the flow of things uh, coming up. Yeah,
4: I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's good to
4: have a break, but it means that I'm just ready to jump in again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, Uh, we'll go to V923Z and then back to the top of the list. I have some notes to read.
6: Okay, thanks, Jeff. So uh, last week I, I managed to release uh, 2.1 of Microlab. This is a, a new um, a version that um, supports uh, a truly numpy compatible uh, interface. Um, but at the same time, I also managed to backport uh, uh, at least one function and a couple of uh, bug fixes to the CircuitPython-compatible uh, interface, um, which I also released. And um, this week, I, I will try to... Um, um, implement a more flexible array and initialization function. Um, Someone tried to um, 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 initialize uh, three-dimensional arrays through nested um, iterables and that didn't quite work. Um, I'm going to fix that this week and um, uh, beyond that, just for fun, I, I will definitely try to work on some hardware and, and photography projects. Um, um, hopefully, uh, with the help of, of uh, Circuit Python board.
0: I would love to see uh, your photography photography projects because that's been an on and off habit or a hobby in my life. So, tell us about them when they're ready. All right. All right, at the top of the list, I've got some notes from C. Grover, who's just listening in today. Uh, Last week, replaced the Motor Tester Appliances RPM sensor with an on-shaft quadrature version. Picked up a few ultra-sensitive Hall Effect latching sensors for other projects as a result. And next week, writing a learn guide about characterizing and improving the low-speed torque and spin threshold RPM for brushed DC motors it's a software approach to reduce robot startup wheelies and unwanted string car demolition events. Uh, so next is Dan. And then after that, I will read notes from David.
5: Okay. Um, as, as Scott mentioned, I released six one zero RC one, uh, late last week. Um, it was interesting. We had such a flurry of, of, um, of, of changes at the last minute before that, that it took about... I had to wait like six hours before I could release it, after I decided to release it, to get, have GitHub catch up. Um, at some point, I'm not sure it was before or after that, I fixed the BLE issue. I'm skipping around a bit here. That um, someone pointed out who had been trying to do remote, uh, act as a BLE central, and they were having trouble reading a, a characteristic that was longer than standard, and it never actually... I don't think it actually has worked in, for a long time, but not that many people are doing that, so I fixed that. Um, there were some problems on the ESP32-S2 with touch, both regular touch-in and touch-alarm. I couldn't get it to work at all, and it worked for MicroDev on their board, and eventually, after a lot of head-scratching, we figured out that it's because the traces on his board, which is the size of a module, of, a, of the tiny module like the rumor rover modules, that's how big his board is. And so his traces are extremely short. And there was some weird thing about um, when you set up touch using the ESP-IDF, if you do the calls in a different order, then it calibrates at the wrong time. And so you end up getting uh, a high value or the, the highest value all the time if you do it in the wrong order. So we figured that out and it wasn't, it wasn't anything different about his board except it was smaller. So that problem was fixed. Uh, I fixed some other random build infrastructure issues. I did a bunch of reviews of various kinds. And right now I'm working on a complicated bug, which has to do with um, I don't know if it's complicated or not, but it's, it has to do with uh, writing lots of lar- large numbers of medium to large size files at once. And they don't seem to be, uh, they stall over and over again, and uh, TAC, one of our staff members, has been helping me with that. Okay.
0: All right, um, so next I will read notes from David, and after that we will go to Foamy Guy. Uh David writes that uh, he's been working on the Nunchuck Library, working with Jay Furseen, who added Classic Controller, adding the Super NES Classic Edition Controller Simple Test Example adding the UDRAW game tablet support, and finally mouse emulation with the UDRAW tablet using just a Cutie Pie. Testing BluePad32 on Wiimote Nunchuck, Super NES Classic Edition Controller, and Classic Controller Pro. And finally, turn Pi Portal into a portable gaming console with wireless joystick BluePad32. There is a link to Twitter in the docs if somebody wants to paste that into the chat. And with that, I will pass it to Foamy Guy, and then Higher Effect will wrap up status updates.
3: All right, thanks, Jeff. Uh, last week, I uh, worked on, of course, it's been mentioned a few times, the wave of the pre-commit um, update PRs. Um, I tested a fix for bitmap label. Uh, specifically, it was around the anchor positioning. I swapped out some font files in a couple of different libraries, display text and, and bitmap font. We had some fonts that were of, um, unknown license. Um, and so we got some swapped in that have a published open license. That was part of the big pre-commit, uh, update was something, I think it's called reuse, maybe something that enforces the licenses. So we had to make sure to get licenses on pretty much every file. Uh, so I did a couple of the fonts, um, over the weekend, I kind of dipped my toes uh, for the first time into the streaming world. So while I was working on that font PR and then uh, a couple others on uh, Saturday morning as well, some pie portal, PR tests uh, and portal-based refactoring uh, PRs. I tested those and streamed, um, and so that went really well. I was very pleased um, with the turnout there, and uh, it was a lot easier kind of than I imagined to get everything set up, so uh, that was fun. I'll probably be doing it again and trying to figure out a, an actual solid time slot to keep going on on a weekly basis. Um, and then for, uh, for this week, I'm trying to keep my list short so that I will hopefully actually for sure uh, really do it. But the the thing I have is getting back to work on the display layouts library and uh, specifically uh, using it to build up the trivia game interface. Uh, and that's what I got for this week. Thanks. Thank you.
0: All right, higher Effect, you are up.
9: All righty. Um, this past week, uh, I've just been heads down on um, wrapping up a bunch of the change requests uh, that were on the TCP server PR, um, which is what allows uh, the bind accept And listen uh, calls on the socket module. Um, And I also, uh, since that wrapped up in the middle of the week, I started work on extracting all of our, separating all of the um, TLS stuff, so the encrypted communications, uh, out of the socket module and into the SSL module where they really uh, should be. And CPython, their uh, SSL wraps the original socket. Uh, object and turns it into uh, a separate SSL socket object. So I've been making sure that that all starts to line up to CPython um, and I've been kind of double checking and researching to make sure that uh, things are the same uh, as much as possible. Um, I also uh, wrote my CPython in 2021 and had the chance to read uh, the ones from everyone else. Um, so that was a kind of fun checkup on to uh, just kind of the activities that everyone else is up to across all the different Python related projects. Uh, This week, I'm going to be wrapping up um, the SSL and socket separation PR, um, which is in progress and is almost done. Uh, And then I'm going to be getting probably back into a bit of STM32 work. Um, There's a longstanding I2C repeated start issue that I uh, didn't get around to just because I I was uh, deep in the socket stuff. Um, and there's some other bugs that have kind of popped up in the issues list uh, that are probably worth checking out. Um, and then beyond that, I'll probably try and get a control working for the low power code, which I haven't actually gotten a chance to try yet. Um, so I'll be uh, playing around with that and then getting into solving any bugs that are existing on that on the ESP32 and getting started on implementing it for the STM32. And uh, that's it for me.
0: All right. Thank you. Uh, so next, we will start the section in the weeds. Hopefully, if you have a topic for discussion, you've added it already. We've got three topics, and we will lead off with Foamy guy. So take it away.
3: All right. Um, I think this one will be pretty quick. So the, the Learn Guide, um, it's titled How to Add a New Board to CircuitPython. On one of the pages there, customizing the board files, they have some... I don't remember if it's just in the paragraph or it's a little blurb or something, but it points people towards making a PR on the CircuitPython repo if they wanna get a a PID and VID. Um, And I think more recently, I think I've seen that where you were pointing people towards PID codes. Uh, So I just wondered if we wanted to update that learn guide to change the verbiage a little bit and have it point them straight to PID codes, or do we want them to keep going how it is now uh, to the CircuitPython repo first?
0: Scott, do you have an answer to that?
4: Uh, yeah, we should do that. (laughs) Okay. Um, I, I, I go through the PID.codes PRs every weekend or so. Um, I finally, like, have access to maintain that. Um, and so I, yeah, it should, it should be doable. Um, it still does, doesn't solve this problem where it's a closed source board with open source software. It's like a very much a gray area. Um. But yeah, generally, we don't want to give Adaf- Adafruit PIDs, or v- yeah, PIDs away for non-Adafruit stuff if we can help it. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of ESP32S2 boards come in from actual manufacturers that sell stuff, and they really should be acquiring VIDs or PIDs themselves.
3: Okay, yep, I will, um, I'll work on updating that little section of the guide to, to point people
4: towards PID codes. Awesome, thank you.
0: And so Scott, from the point of view, I think, I think PID codes kind of says you have to have open source hardware and software, but as far as you're concerned, there's, there's not this chicken and egg problem where they have to be in CircuitPython before the PID codes pull requests can be merged, right? It's like, you have the intent to put CircuitPython on this board, you can, and the board is open source. So that's enough to get a PID codes.
4: I think if they link to like their fork of CircuitPython with it, that's fine. Okay. Um we do we do have that come up from time to time as well. Um where like people are like it will be open source especially mm-hmm. on the hardware side and we just say like sorry we don't do it until it's actually open source. Right.
0: So like a- an open pull request in draft status would be really good probably and it just like just needs the new numbers put in. Does that make sense?
4: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And PID.codes also has, like, 10 designated test uh, PIDs that we could also, like, we could actually allow people, like, we could exempt those from the duplicate check. Um, So that's an option as well, Hmm. is to use the test PIDs. Um, One thing I've been meaning to add to the PID.codes side, actually, is that, like, a lot of manufacturers allow you to acquire PIDs under their VID. Like if you're using like an LPC chip, you can get one for free from NXP, for example. Um, who makes? The I'm wondering chip- about yeah. that in in the context of STM32 because
9: almost all of the STM32 chips that we did, um, we we used we used our own VIDs and PIDs and stuff, and and a lot of those do have VIDs and PIDs from the manufacturer that could be extracted or or could just be requested. I don't know.
4: Um, well, I think I think for the stuff that we actually do, I think it's okay that we have Adafruit ones, and generally you want PIDs that are per software. Um, who yeah, knows I mean, when we can do dynamic USB descriptors? How that's going to go as well, but um, yeah, generally having more unique PIDs is better. So I think you know, like for the stuff that we've done already, that's okay. Um, I think it's mostly like we we need to be, be a bit um, stricter in pushing. Back on companies um again particularly those that are selling esp 32s2 boards right like they those folks are esp land folks and they're not used to usb um and so it's kind of our mm-hmm. our role to inform those that like hey like now that you're selling a usb device you really should have a vid for all of your products right
9: it's it's a five thousand dollar one-time fee right it's six
4: thousand dollars now uh, yeah dollars yes. um but like like I said, a lot of manufacturers, and I I would argue, espresso should do this. Although I don't think they are like a lot of manufacturers. If not giving them to you for free, will actually give them to you for a few hundred dollars. Um, oh, which, okay. yeah. which is much gotcha. more reasonable for somebody who's selling something. Gotcha. Um, so, but then again, I don't know if that's actually possible to do now.
9: <laughs> it would be nice. It might be nice if we could actually. I don't know if this is something worth spending time on, but actually looking up per manufacturer which ones will sell you right. a VID a PID for for a couple hundred bucks because that actually sounds like a really great resource because right. I mean like even independent makers can probably afford something like that, right? And, and I uh, think most of them that might be really useful.
4: Yeah, I, I think that's something that PID.codes PID. should do. I don't think that's Circuit Python specific. So I think by by pointing people to PID codes, then then they have that as an option. Uh, there's a good website with a, like, here's the gist with USB PIDs. Uh, for, that's, like, literally the URL PID.codes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think just pointing pointing folks that way, like, that should be the central resource for just, like, I'm a maker, I need a PID. Yeah, that sounds all good.
0: good all right. Um, assuming that is adequately covered, the document uh, the notes document's been reordered somewhat, and that puts Dan up next to tell us about pre-commit.
5: Okay, looking for the right window. Okay, uh, so this is, I want to say say something about pre-commit. I, I was, like, kind of unaware about how to use it, um, because I thought, like, it doesn't seem to be done in a pre-commit way, but that was just because I hadn't bothered to read the documentation, and then uh, someone explained it to me, uh, Hugo, on Discord, which was very helpful. So um, the real point of pre-commit is not so much when you push to GitHub, but really to do it even before that, so that you don't have you don't generate unnecessary commits. And so if you do, if you install pre-commit, which you can do with pip3 install pre-commit, and then go into a repo repo and then say pre-commit install, assuming that there's a um, uh, pre-commit config.yaml file set up, then this will set up what's called a hook in git so that whenever you do try to do a commit, it will run the stuff in there, and if it fails, it won't let the commit happen. So you won't generate an unnecessary commit. And you can even run it by hand by saying pre-commit run, which is kind of easier than composing your pre-commit message. So I would encourage everyone who's working on a library or on CircuitPython to um, install pre-commit and run it locally before you make a PR or or before you make some changes to a PR. That way, we won't have so many commits like, oh, I should have done run black or I should have done something like that. We're trying to do this for make translate in CircuitPython too, but we're having some trouble with it. But... I, it would be nice to be able to do. So I would really encourage you to try this little this little, little, thing and, little thing and make sure it works out. Works out. Or, so does it apply
2: to the core as well as libraries? Yes.
5: Yes. Okay.
0: All right. Any, have,
5: like trailing white space and stuff like that.
0: Any other questions about pre-commit while we've got knowledgeable people here to answer them?
10: Sure, I'll ask one as a way to check my mic, if you can hear me. Yeah. Yep, cool. Um, so Dan, on the it sounded like after running the install step, stuff will happen automatically with each git commit. Is that true? Yes, it will run this,
5: whatever the pre-commit checks are when you try to do a commit locally.
10: OK, so you're going to see changes to kind of git's basic behavior also.
5: Right. Well, you'll Mm -hmm. see is that when you try to do a commit locally before you do a push, then it will run the things. It'll say, like, oh, I'm going to run black or something like that.
10: Um, Okay. And if you wanted wanted to be more just manual, could you skip the install step and then just simply do the run step? I think so. I'm not
5: sure about that. I I, I was having trouble with the I was just trying to type. If you just type pre-commit without an argument, it doesn't do anything, but it... It it looks like it's doing something. It's a little bit confusing, so I haven't tried it in great detail.
10: Okay, Um, new new stuff. We'll learn. I played with this on last Friday, and what I I I do is I just
5: I don't have my workflow down for this yet.
10: I just stole what I saw in the um, in the workflow, which is a slightly different set of commands. But anyway, we'll learn. We'll learn
4: as we go.
7: Yeah, I recommend just
5: trying it because I only tried tried it once, like three days ago.
4: I recommend just installing it because then you won't forget to run it. It's really well, like, it's, it's verbose enough to tell you what's going on, so I don't find it that jarring and it happens before the commit. It doesn't happen before push. Two separate things.
0: All right. Any more about pre-commit going once, going twice? All right. Well, Carter, since your mic works, why don't you uh, start us off with your in the weeds subject here?
10: Woo-hoo. Okay. Or continue us um, on. Yeah, just it's a, okay. Yeah, it's just a general question related to the, the same Noonchuck PR that was mentioned above. It's something I I haven't really it's kind of I haven't really run into this. So it's kind of a combination of things. First off, the way you get information from the Noonchuck and the other little accessories that are trying to be merged in is a single, there's no, there's not multiple registers. You're just like one base register. You say, Hey, give me a bit, you know, like eight bytes of data. And then you extract out of that, what the joystick et cetera are. And there's some slowness to that, which I don't think people fully understand, but it's just kind of in the black magic of talking to the noon So then it kind of begs the question of like, okay, when you do, the current setup is a very simple, like there's a property for each thing and each thing does this slow transfer. But of course that slows you down a lot when you want to read multiple values because each one's gonna do an individual slow unnecessary transfer. And the other bit of this is we're looking at with some of these things, like 12 or more parameters that get, that get returned. So I'm curious of what, what are some good ideas for, for dealing with that. It's not that the single slow I2C transfer really can't be changed, that's, that's fundamental. But then, when you do that, how can you best shove all that back to the user in some kind of cool Pythony way, I guess? That's the question.
4: So I think named tuples are a good answer to that question. Um, when it's like, I have a lot of values, how do I know what they are? And that that's better than a dictionary because named tuples, like they share. Named tuples can share the mapping between, like, names and values, whereas a dictionary is, like, very, like, per instance sort of mapping. Um, do you know what the... The other question I would have is, do you know what the refresh rate is?
10: It's... You mean in terms of the I2C transfer? Or, like, right. more so low like... level in the device? It's...
5: Like it it, a, it's a game controller, so I'd expect it to be fast. So right, maybe,
11: right. uh Canu. Yeah. Usually, usually when you transfer data from the Nunchuk, it comes back. I know in the uh, in the C modules that were that I were, was provided to me by by the uh, manufacturer uh, when I was playing around with it a long time ago. It comes back as a block of a certain number of bytes. I think, it was, was it? in the case of the nunchuck, it would be six. It comes right. back all at yep. once, yep. and then you have to pop it out. And we used to pop it out as a C struct. Right. A C struct now in uh, underneath the underneath the uh, Python uh, underneath the Python level. I think that's where I think it would be more effective to have a underlying uh, C module, so that may. Be I don't. Tough.
4: I don't think you need a C module to do it, but I. Th- I think the it'd the, the Python faster. hmm, it'd be a lot faster. I don't think that's. Yeah. I, it sounds like to me, it's the nunchuck itself that's slow.
10: Yes. Yeah, so, so I just put the very basic um, current CircuitPython code for the read there. And we've we've played around with trying to deal with that I2C read delay, making it as small as possible, removing some, and you kind of get mixed bag results. It'll break it. So for now, that boilerplate right there seems to be what's required. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like you see, oh, the other thing is bu- okay. Buffer is six bytes for the Noon Chuck. Right. But mm-hmm. for some of these others, it's much. I'm not sure about the amount, amount of bytes, but the amount of parameters you pull out become dozen-y. Yeah. Uh,
11: versus yeah,
5: versus the three. The so the instead problem. of constructing a name tuple every time, suppose that you returned an object which stored the raw bytes, and then it had accessors on that which would extract them as required, oh, yeah. because you probably don't want all 10 all the time. You're probably only interested in a few of them. Is that correct? Oh. I like OK,
1: so it's just I, so
5: so parse on demand is what I'm saying. It's basically instead of instead of instead of instead of allocating instead of like breaking it all down to begin with. Yeah, I think you got it.
10: <laughs> so you would do you know, you would do something like like this. And you're going to get back everything in values, but then you would then continue to do something like. Um, values dot x values dot y dot values
5: right yeah and so values okay. is just right it's 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 a it's right exactly well uh,
4: the, other, the other thing you can think about though is like d- is it important that all the all of the values are provided by the user in one time slice or not um because you could just have nunchuk dot x right like um and then what you can do internally is you can cache based on like how frequently the values actually update. So any faster reads don't go to the device until you know the device is ready to read new values out.
10: So you could read that uh, read register loop as fast as you want. The new mm-hmm. truck itself will update with each read.
4: So why is there a delay?
10: Because of that I2C read delay in there.
4: Oh, Why a... do you need the delay?
10: I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. People have just kind of reverse engineered oh, wow. the new chuck and figured that out. I you mean, gotta... not just us. But
5: people like say that you have to do this. Is that what you're telling me?
4: Yes, yes. Okay. Or what? What happens if you don't, you know?
10: You get, like, NACs and no data, and just it just gets wrapped around the axle and just doesn't work. Uh,
4: mm-hmm.
11: Question. I assume we're referring to the nunchuck being hooked up directly into the system. Yes. See, there two ways. yes, there are two ways of reading the nunchuck. One is through one is through the original Wii controller, and the other one is direct. Uh, now, yeah. Nowadays, you can also read it directly because of the fact that it is an I2C device. Normally, yeah, This, this, is, no, no, this is direct. This everything is direct via I two C. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure, <laughs> right. because like sometimes you sometimes if you want the full controller, if you want the full Wii controller, you have to read it. You're reading it through Bluetooth or or Wi-Fi. Right. No. Not direct. Not directly like not directly from the device. And I've I've done yeah, this, both. It,
10: this is I2C direct, and there's the Nunchuck, and then there's also these U draws and other controllers, and they they all plugged into the, the Bluetooth yeah, Wii yeah, remote. The but in like this case, we're treating, we're treating them all as I2C direct.
11: Yeah, the bounce board it's also I2C direct. You you when you talk, when you plugged it into the Wii, you didn't plug it into the Wii itself, the Wii box itself. You plugged it into a hand controller. Right. You didn't plug it directly, and that's what. See if you uh, see that's the uh, that's the whole thing about it. Is you, I've been experimenting with with the actual hand controller. You know the original Wii control, Wii That's the word I was looking for. The Wii right? Yeah, well, that, that would end up being a totally different
10: library.
11: Yeah, it's a completely different library but it reads it reads a twelve uh, it reads up to a uh eighteen byte chunk depending on which peripheral you have to attach to the bottom of it so what, like the bounce board has a has a whole whole twelve twelve byte input because it's you you've got four uh Four thirty-two, four thirty-two bit uh, words.
4: Right. And, so, so Carter, does that help give clarity on what your options are? Like either, I would say, either name tuple or like what Dan was talking about is actually like you could have a, a separate class for a particular set of values that that reads the the underlying bytes to give you things as you need right. them.
10: Yeah, like that parts on demand kind of idea. Oh, so, I'm sorry, but, okay. And then I guess I guess my question is, what's the current state of named tuple support in Circuit Python? I guess I've kind of lost track of that.
4: I think it works.
0: It works. Okay. Yeah. You, I, if yeah, you I think... want to run it on like an M zero board, you should maybe check if it's supported on all of them. I don't know if we turn it off on low end boards.
4: I don't think we do, but I could be wrong. Uh, I think it's in there. I think we use it for, like, uname or something. Like, Oh, yeah, that's true. We use it for time. Yeah, you're right. Like, time struct is actually mm-hmm. just a named tuple.
10: And I guess there's really no hard-wired number for when to switch. You know, like, for example, for an accelerometer, it's it's really nice and easy to just say, to tuple unpack three values, x, y, z equal read excella. Right. But it, this this issue is only that when it becomes, like, 24 values, right. the tuple unpack syntax becomes kind of weird and clunky.
4: Well, like you can use the tuple unpack syntax unpack syntax for a name tuple as well. That should work if you really want to.
10: Right, you, but you could to you to stick with it, it's just a simple tuple. You know, you'd be like unpacking 20. You'd have comma comma right. comma 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 comma. Right, right. And under a bunch of underscores for ones you don't care about, et cetera. Yeah, don't it do starts that. looking a bit
4: weird. <laughs> Use slices at that point. Uh, but yeah, in terms of parsing, like the C C uh, like Melissa said, I think was like struct unpack will be really quick about that. Although I don't know if it does bits for binary, so um.
10: and I, yeah, and I, I think the layout is such that it's not when you here you can look at the, the the actual code that does the stuff and it's it, not nothing in really stuck to unpack would support it because it's it's bits and pieces of all of it mm-hmm. you have to do it by hand almost
11: mm-hmm. the nunchuck lay the, the nunchuck the layout of the bytes on the nunchuck are a little strange and yeah, so yeah. The, and the same goes for the Wiimote mm-hmm. <laughs> if you look at the uh, blue pad code, you'll see what I'm talking about there's
4: the nunchuck right so david is asking should we keep the name nunchuck if it does more than nunchuck um and i would say if you're if you're moving things around that you're baking the api anyway maybe you want to call it like adafruit we accessory or something
10: well that's kind of another question i asked in that pr is if this is becoming something that's more of a community bundle thing right versus living it living in the Python thing, because apparently there's a whole universe of these cool little accessories out there. Right.
4: I mean, yeah, I think the other... I haven't looked at it, but if you're... um, If there's a lot of code shared, then it would make sense in the same library, but if not, then we could just have small uh, separate libraries. I generally favor small separate libraries because I think they're easier for people to find. Um, But I, I haven't looked enough to know where this lands on that. Um, the one thing I would say is like, uh, don't put them in the same file. <laughs> right. Like right. every device now, should PR, have its own it, file to import.
10: Yeah. The PR includes a refactor where things are put into a base class, which kind of has this, this basic register read and yep. then subclasses for Noonchuck, et cetera, that have all the custom parameters
4: and okay. byte foo, like, like you see there.
10: Right.
4: Yeah. I mean, that sounds fine to me.
10: But for addressing that basic issue of like this interesting thing, when you get a bunch of parameters returned and want to do it as one chunk, what to switch to? Okay, I've got some things I'll play around with. Yeah, thanks for your ideas.
4: It, you could look at the BLE libraries as well. Like it uses like this is kind of what data descriptors are for, which I know is like super advanced topic. But um, in the case where like you have these X, Y, and Z, and you're just like trying to tell it like which bits it's talking about. Um, And I guess the register library does this too, but like data descriptors are a way that if you have, if you were to write it as three separate properties that did all math that you could parameterize, like a data descriptor is the thing that you can parameterize. Um, Which is pretty, pretty powerful, but also kind of in the weeds. If you go that route, if you go the route of having a separate class to represent like a snapshot, then data descriptors might help make that a bit cleaner.
10: Okay. I got, a, I got some new things to, to play with then. So mm-hmm. Thanks for the input. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. That uh, went for a little while, but I think everybody got good information. So now I will uh, read the notes from MicroDev, who was workshopping them this whole time just to get it into perfect form. Uh, so MicroDev writes, "How would a mesh module be implemented? There are several different ways to set up a mesh network, such as BLE mesh, Wi-Fi mesh, Wi-Fi mesh, Zigbee mesh. All of these have similar functionality, but differ when it comes to setup parameters." Similar functionality here means the same functions for handling the network. The difference of setup parameters is that Wi Fi mesh takes SSID and password, BLE mesh takes CID and VID, etc. So, uh, does anybody have thoughts to offer on that?
4: I think the first step is let's start an issue for it. Um, my intuition is that we're not going to want a single module, what we'll want is three modules like for each implementation, but then agree on the like subset of the API that's similar. Um, So that like, once you initialize the mesh, then you can treat each one of them the same. Um, And so I think, I I, I think the way to sort it out is is like, let's file an issue with all of the links to all of the meshes that we want to encompass and then design an API that, says, like, OK, once it's constructed, here's the standard API. Um,
0: yeah, other things that it seems important to decide at the outset are whether this is about CircuitPython interoperating with CircuitPython or CircuitPython interoperating with another Ooh. environment, um, because okay, that will...
4: Okay, right out. Charles, you're unmuted. I'm sorry. I'm leaving anyway
11: have a good week. Thank, Thank you Charles. Thank you.
0: Um because if you need to interoperate with other software that ends up creating a much broader API than if you're creating something just for Circuit Python to interoperate with itself.
4: Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, looking at alternate implementations is good too. And then generally when I'm designing an API, I'll, I'll like I, I think I said before the meeting it's like I will write out the docs for the common APIs and explain all the functions and then also write example code as if as if the code actually worked. Um,
0: yeah, to I find kind of prove it out. writing code to the API I imagine to be very helpful. Um, my ex-colleagues called it aspirational code, you know, you don't Ooh. necessarily run it, but like here's what I hope to do and that'll help you identify what's missing or help you identify what is maybe not needed for the minimum uh, viable pull request.
4: Yep, and that's important too. I think generally we, when we add APIs, we, like we f- need to focus on the core of what we're trying to do and then only add things as we realize that we want to do them. It's so easy to read a data sheet or a spec and be like, okay, we have to cover the whole spec. And that just like leads to way more work than you actually need for the things that you actually want to do. Right. So the most
9: common example projects. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, please go ahead.
9: Um, What are the most common example projects for uh, a mesh network um, just to kind of inspire that discussion? Um, Like, do we, do we have, is there a clear use case in mind for, for what this is, what kinds of things this is going to
4: be doing? I mean, I think I think Microsoft is the one bringing that here, and so I think I know they're here, but it's late, so I I think the best place for this this discussion is on the on the issue. That's probably true, uh, but yeah, that's a good question to ask, and that's where we should start.
9: I just I, I ask because um, you know, depending on how much common functionality, I, I'm just saying this because coming out of the SSL stuff, um, I'm also thinking you know. The other way you could do it is have a wrapper that wraps over mm-hmm. their hardware objects and provides joint functionality as an extension of those objects.
4: Um, yeah, if there are, like, higher-level tasks you want to do yeah, uh, but on the but baseline. That, that totally
9: depends on the implementation, so um, that's why I was asking, in in order to kind of do research and be better informed about that.
4: Right. Microdev, I think a new issue is uh warranted still for the API design but you could link to the Zigbee one as a like specific implementation that we would want cuz I think you right. I, I think <laughs> I think you two were also talking about doing the ESP Now stuff so right I don't know
9: if it, my knowledge of ESP Now didn't make it seem very meshy. um mm-hmm. Again, I would need to kind of look at more use cases. I was looking at ESP Mesh as really a LoRa replacement. Oh, okay. Like a point-to-point LoRa, built-in LoRa replacement. All right, I'm I'm wrong. ESP Now is not mesh. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I think it's just, yeah. I don't know exactly what ESP Now would look like, Um I don't know if we do maybe I'll just check out our existing LoRa libraries because I think that's the closest, but um, yeah, it's point to point messaging.
4: Yeah. Okay. Let's let's uh, somebody start an issue and, and we'll go there.
0: All right. Microdev, will you please start the issue and all right. In that case, we are ready to wrap up the meeting. Thank you, everybody, for the discussion around these new things, um, as well as old things. Uh, So anyway, that wraps up the CircuitPython meeting for January 19th. I want to thank everybody who participated. If you want to support Adafruit and CircuitPython, and those of us who work on CircuitPython, please consider purchasing hardware from the Adafruit shop at Adafruit.com. The video of this meeting will be released on YouTube at youtube.com Adafruit, and the podcast will be available on major podcast services. It'll also be featured in the Python for Microcontrollers newsletter. Visit adafruitdaily.com to subscribe. Our next meeting is on, uh, what's that going to be? Monday, the 25th of January. If you aren't on Discord yet, visit adafru.it slash discord to join. To participate in the meeting, ask one of us to add you to the CircuitPythonista's role on Discord so that you can speak within the CircuitPython voice channel and will receive a couple of notices per week, mostly about the meeting itself. We hope to see you again soon, and thanks again, everybody.